Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. All right. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. It is National Recovery Month, and uh, part of National Recovery Month, we're focusing each week on someone extra special in the community um, who's an advocate for recovery and um, using their voice to raise awareness and bring change. And today, I'm so excited to have our special guest, um, former housewife uh, from the Real Housewives of OC, Bronwyn Windham burke and avid... uh, recovery advocate. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be here for National Recovery Month. Thank you for having me. And you know what? Let me apologize right there. There is so much more to who you are, and we're going to get into that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mother of seven, uh, you know, dog mom, all kinds of things. So I want to hear more about that. And um, I hate limiting (laughs) the very beginning to the, you know, the intro. So um, I'm excited to hear more about you and and your life. So and you know what, I don't mind that intro, because let's be honest, the show is what gave me a platform and a voice. You know, so I'm so grateful to be a part of, you know, of the Real Housewife franchise, because without that, I don't even know if I'd still be sober, but I definitely wouldn't be talking to you about sobriety right now. So I don't consider housewives limiting. I consider it like a great starting point for amazing things. I love that response. And one of the reasons why is I feel like without the gift of sobriety and recovery, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't necessarily be perhaps be the response that you had, you know, the gift of gratitude and clarity of thought, um, that we get through sobriety and recovery is something so magnificent, right? Absolutely. I mean, I was talking to um, someone that kind of, she's a blogger in this world. And she said, do you, are you glad you did the show? Would you do it again? And my honest answer was absolutely. Cause I don't know if I would be sober without it. So was it hard? Yes. Are there things that I look back on? I'm here in Dallas. I'm with a lot of the Dallas housewives. And we were talking about, you know, a lot of the unpleasant parts of the show, because there are a lot of unpleasant things that people don't really talk about. But at the end of the day, I am sober. I am sober. And I don't know if I would have been sober without, you know, without this. So, yeah, I definitely have that gratitude for sure. Very cool. So it being National Recovery Month, um, I was looking at your Instagram yesterday and I saw a post that you posted recently where you just said, hey, it's National Recovery Month, everybody, uh, you know, in a video. And if you've ever been thinking about getting sober, um, this month is such a great time. Why not just try it? And then you panned the camera out and said, look at what all awaits you. And Just perspective there for me, what I got out of that is you were saying the clarity and simplicity of life, the the ability to be grounded and experience 
the moment in which you were in for its fullest to its fullest. Um, that's what I got from that is the blessing that you were saying right then and there, you know, a, a lot of us in recovery can really see that and get it right in that moment. And I thought it was so beautiful that you shared that. There was this, I was on a trail. I was hiking with my children to a waterfall in Kauai. And I wouldn't have had that if I'd been hungover or drinking. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of drinking is the nighttime and the crazy, the tuning out. It's not real. Yeah. You know, it really isn't real. And I was in this moment with my little kids and I'm like, this is real. This, this is what I get. I get yeah. waterfalls. You know, I get to be here. I get to be here and obviously not every moment is a waterfall, but Mm -hmm. I get to be here right now, you know, in Texas, getting my new dog. I get to be here with you. I get to be here, not partially here, not, okay. I threw on some makeup and I'm here, but I'm actually hung over. I get to be here talking to you. I get to be here. We get to be here. Yeah. So true. So on that same on that same note, um, I want to ask you, what does National Recovery Month mean to you? Um, and besides uh, doing this podcast, what are you doing? Uh, what awesome things are you doing uh, besides that to celebrate? I mean, first, National Recovery Month, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. You know, addiction affects everyone, whether personally or through a loved one. Everyone knows someone that struggles with this. I was at dinner last night and um, one of the other housewives child lost a friend to an overdose last night. You know, it doesn't matter if you live in Highland Park or on a park bench. That's right. Everyone is affected by this. Um, And we need to start talking about it. Mm -hmm. We brush this under the rug, especially in like affluent communities we don't talk about this. You know, we consider addiction, mental health issues, dirty little secrets. We try to sugarcoat it. You know, if you look at people's Instagrams, we all look perfect. Mm. I think for me, National Recovery Month is about being vocal. You know, I am a incredibly privileged woman with seven children with all the resources in the world. And this disease took me down. Mm. It took me down. I was powerless. Um, And so I think National Recovery Month is this time to say, hey, this is us. We are here. We are just like you. I don't know about you. I work a 12 step program, but the Mm -hmm. first time I walked into that meeting, I walked in like, well, no, I'm different from everyone else. Oh no. Terribly unique, right? (laughs) I don't, yeah, I didn't. mm. No, we are the same. National recovery month is saying, Hey, if you think you have a problem or you're sober curious, listen right now, like listen to us, listen to our stories. We are you, you are us. There's nothing broken with you. You are not flawed. This is this is a disease. Yeah. And it is okay. It is okay to be an alcoholic. It's okay to be an addict. As a matter of fact, I find it amazing. I'm so grateful to be an alcoholic. So National Recovery Month, let's talk about it. Let's stop sweeping it under the rug. Let's stop whispering in secrets. Hi, why don't you have a drink? Because I'm an alcoholic and I'm in yeah. recovery. That's why. Yeah. Um, and I, I think- love that. You know, for me, what do I have going on? I think that is the other beautiful thing. So I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm picking up, I'm getting a new dog today. So, you know, that's that's been a huge deal. But I can do everything. If you told me the amount of things that I can accomplish in a day, I wouldn't believe you. Um, I really do hold to the one day at a time. 
that is how I live my life now. People kind of make fun of me because it's like, when are you flying back? I don't know. I mean, like I literally live my life one day at a time. So I'm going to be in New York later on. I'm doing something with Glad. I'm partnering um, with a, uh, a a new agency. We're working on that. I'm headed to New York. I have some moves and like, there's a lot going on. Um, awesome. But it's all manageable because I don't have to worry about any of that. Cause that's tomorrow today. Yeah. I'm getting my dog <laughs> today. I'm going to learn, you know, how, how to connect with this animal today. I'm not going to drink or use. I love and that. I think everything I have planned, I have some great things I'm working on. Um, you know, I'm very lucky to be part of a very great recovery group, but today, what am I going to do for national recovery month? Today I'm going to do the one thing that I think we all can do today. I'm not going to drink or use. Love it. And you're yeah. using your voice, which I love to, uh, to create change. So, um, all right. So I want to dive a little bit into more about you and your life. Um, first and foremost, I love your name and Thank I'm you. curious about where you got it and the, the story behind that. So my mom is from Mississippi and she was watching TV one night and there was a movie and, um, the character was named Bronwyn and the guy said, I've never, I've never seen a woman with hair, the color of wheat before. And so when my mom was pregnant with me, it was between two choices. My original last name was Brown. So it was going to be Bonnie blue Brown from gone with the wind or Bronwyn. <laughs> and I'm really happy with the choice you made. It's yeah. also a combination of my surname. So, um, Brown was actually from Braun. They changed it and Win from Wyndham. So Bronwyn is my two last names combined also. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, all right. So uh, what about where, where did you grow up? And can you share a little bit about your childhood and um, early family life? I grew up in Orange County, mainly. I started in, I, I was born in Delaware, moved when I was a baby. My mom was in a rock band in LA. So I have memories of the whiskey and the rainbow, my little footsie pajamas with, you know, Chuck Berry and the Go-Go's and people like that. Um, and then my mom went back to school to become a physician, an MD. So we moved to Orange County and I lived in Newport Beach and Laguna Beach. Exactly. I've come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was, it was an interesting childhood because I did have a lot of love, but I moved around to different, uh, family members. So I lived with my grandmother or my grandfather. I had aunts. I lived with my cousin. So when my mom was going to school, it was very hard to be a single mom going to med school. And so my grandparents kind of picked up the slack and my aunt. And so I grew up in Laguna, mainly Laguna beach, um, with my grandpa, my aunt, my cousin. Okay. And I mean, it was, I gotta say, Laguna is a great place to grow up. If you've yeah. never been there, it's a small little art town in, um, orange County. We walked everywhere. We were safe. We just, I mean, I lived in the ocean. We were just little water babies with total yeah. freedom. It was great. That's beautiful there. Yeah. Um, I've gotten to spend a little bit of time there. Yeah, it's nice. Um, so what did you want to be when you grew up? And did you have a desire slash any idea that one day it would involve being famous? N no, I wanted to be a mom. That was really all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to be a full-time stay-at-home mom. And I met Sean, my husband, when I was 18, my first year of college. I was very... I, 
this is all I want. I want to be at home. I want to be stay at home mom. When I was growing up, I would look at my friends that had stay at home moms. I'm like, oh, I was so jealous because I didn't get to do Girl Scouts and brownies. And mm -hmm. I didn't have that. And I really just wanted to be that mom who when my kids came home, had cookies like that. That was it. Um, I've always acted. So there's a place in Laguna called the Laguna Playhouse. I was part of the kids ensemble. So I always kind of wanted to be on TV. I, I did love that. Um, but I'm also really like lazy. <laughs> like, I didn't want to actually put the work into it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I could train it my crack. No, I, I didn't want to, I, when things not now, but when things used to get hard, I'd be like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, laughing because I, I can relate just a little bit. Like, uh, yeah. oh, that would be great. But I don't, uh, uh. Um, that being said, the first year of Housewives, one of my grandparents' good friends was on it, Gina Kehoe. So I, I watched the Housewives. I thought this would be so much fun. What a great thing to do. You get to be on TV. You get to be famous. But like, you don't have to do anything or memorize lines. <laughs> you right? just get to be yourself. Yeah. Um. And, you know, I always watched the shows. And then when I moved back to Orange County, it really was out of the blue that they reached out to me because I didn't know anyone on the cast. Wow. And I had like 600 followers on Instagram. And I, I remember when um, the casting director reached out, I was like, oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> Your expression says everything. Um, so, okay. So I have some follow-up questions to there. We'll get to in just a second. But um, I involving your family life earlier life I, I am curious about whether or not um do mental health struggle and or addiction struggles run in your family sprints they run <laughs> sprints in my family <laughs> um and i'm very honest about all of that i yeah. think that talking about mental health is so important to not mm -hmm. sugarcoat that kind of stuff so yes my family we have anxiety we have depression um, I have a child with bipolar. Um, there is borderline personality in in my mom's side of the family. My dad's side of the family, alcoholism runs rampant. Mm. Um, on my mom's side, it's it's there. You know, I remember I had an aunt that had, uh, you know, that was in and out of Betty Ford that had alcoholic seizures in front of us. So yes, uh, it, addiction and mental health they are doing like the four hundred meter relay. Gotcha. So growing up uh, and through the years, was it something that was off limits and secretive? Uh, oh, yes. Talk about? So I didn't grow up with my biological father that present in my life. We didn't get closer okay. until I had my own children. So but I always I mean, I would visit him occasionally and he always he drank. Um, mm -hmm. He was an alcoholic. And, you know, there's stories you remember when you grow up. When I was in sixth grade, I stopped eating red meat because it's my favorite food. And I thought if I'm ever an alcoholic, I'll be able to stop drinking. Uh, and I kind of had forgotten uh, that story till I was an adult and recovering myself. And every time I would throw a penny into a fountain and make a wish was for my dad to stop drinking. Wow. It ultimately killed him. Um, about 19 years ago, he passed away from this disease. Mm -hmm. um, and I did a little on my Instagram, a, a photo, a slide I found of him. He was a surfer in Hawaii. But so I, you know, I knew that side of my family, my mom's side of the family that I grew up with, when my aunt had that alcoholic seizure and went to Betty Ford, all of the alcohol disappeared from our, our home. It was never around at fa family gatherings and we never spoke of it. 
We mm-hmm. never spoke of it. You know, my mm-hmm. family's from Mississippi. They're Southern. They're like, oh, so that's not nice. Let's just talk about pleasant right. things. And so I remember it being forbidden and just my personality. You tell me I can't do something. I'm like, well, that's what I want to do now. You know, like still do <laughs> still. It hasn't changed. Like I'm working yep. on it. Character defect. Um, so when I had my first opportunity to have a beer, I was 13. I was at the beach in Laguna. And I was like, I want to do this. And it wasn't so much the alcohol. It was the idea of doing something that I knew was naughty and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and in high school, I mean, I, w- I never drank normal. I never had a couple beers. I, from the moment I was out and running, I drank till I threw up or blacked out, period. Wow. Um, and I remember coming home, getting carried home or, you know, puking all night. And no one ever talked about it to me. It was just in my family. We just didn't talk about this stuff. No one had a conversation. Hey, this runs in your family. Hey, this is not responsible. It was silence. Was it one of those things that because, you know, you talked about as a kid, you wished so bad that your dad, you know, uh, would get sober and, you know, you didn't want that for yourself. You know, the whole red meat thing. And I know that you said the story didn't come. You didn't remember the story about the red meat until later. But um after your first drink at any point, do you remember thinking, uh, wait a second, this isn't congruent with what I, or was it just in full blown? I mean, I was 13 and I don't think I had the cognitive reasoning for that at the time. It was, I, I was always very insecure, still Mm -hmm. suffer from that. I still have a lot of security issues. Um, I never really feel good enough or like I belong. And for me, it was, well, everyone's doing this. This makes me feel more comfortable in my own skin. And I, you know, I really did drinking with problems pretty quick. I, you know, like, you know, they say it's fun, fun with problems, problems. I kind of just did problems like, um, you know, and um, even at that age, there's just a lot of bad things. You know, there, like at 14, I was passed out drunk and I was raped. Didn't consider stopping drinking never dawned on me. Um, I am so fortunate and tw- I've been, I've been raped twice cause I was blackout drunk and then I would wake up. So still didn't stop. Bad things would happen. Got myself in horrible situations. Um, I'm very lucky that I met Sean when I did, I met a really amazing human at 18. And I think if it hadn't been for him, I probably would have ended up dead because although I still drank in excess, and did bad things. He kept me safe. Mm. Um, and then I had my first baby at 22. And like a lot of women, when I'm pregnant or nursing, I didn't drink. That was never an issue for me. And yeah. so I think also having so many babies really helped save my life. Yeah. Do you think, Sean, uh, when y'all started dating, did he know that you had had a problem or do you think it was, I mean, you're 18, it's kind of what everybody's doing. Consequences are just part of it. Let's yeah. get it under control. I think it was more, I don't think he did. Cause I mean, honestly, we, I was a freshman in college. Every, I, I don't want to say everyone, but it seemed to me at the time, everyone was drinking to excess. Mm-hmm. Like none of us were making smart choices. Like here, right. take this pill. Okay. I mean, right. I don't think at the time it did. Um, Cause it was just, you know, what everyone was doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
do you deal with uh, other mental health issues and do you feel like it played a role in if in propelling you to seek alcohol as a solution? Absolutely. Anxiety is like my pet that sits on my shoulder, you know, mm. like <laughs> yeah. um I can overthink anything. So I have I have situational anxiety where I can overthink anything and make mm -hmm. little issues huge. And then I also suffer from like panic disorder sometimes where I have panic attacks that don't have a reason. They just mm -hmm. overwhelm me. And I definitely would use alcohol to calm that, yeah. you know, it, it takes, it takes the edge off. I mean, I, it does. Um, and that is something that I'm still working on. You know, I exercise mm -hmm. every single day. I try to avoid sugar. I have a caffeine problem that I'm, you know, I know, I know if I get too much, it's going to, it's going to end badly, but that's something I still have. And I'm still working on. I'm Same not here. personally medication. I don't use prescription medications for it. Not that I'm opposed to it. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm managing it right now um, through meditation and exercise in my yeah. own ways, but you know, to each their own on that. But yes, anxiety, I've had my whole life. Makes sense. I think so many of us uh, can, can, Definitely relate to that. Yeah. Um, so when did you, so you said you initially quit when you got pregnant. Yes. Um, and so can you describe the following attempts at sobriety and what motivated you there? Um, so I quit drinking and I was, I, it, it was the nineties. So I was taking this thing called Fentermine to help me stay skinny. Cause mm. I also, besides just alcohol, I have issues with, with food. Um, I've suffered from bulimia most of my teenage and adult life. Mm -hmm. So I had, which is fentramine is just a fancy word for prescription speed. Mm -hmm. So I was taking that because they, my doctor at the time thought it would be better. It would help with my eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even believe like, here, we're going to get you addicted to drugs. I'm like, okay. Right. But so the minute I got that positive test with Bella, I stopped everything cold Turkey and it was easy you know, mm -hmm. and then Bella had a seizure disorder as a baby. So I went from Bella to Rowan, did not have a drop of alcohol for four years because I knew if anything happened to her, I had to be on it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got pregnant. I, I probably went out maybe two or three times before I was pregnant with Jacob. Once again, drank to excess, but it wasn't, it was more like, Oh, you're a new mom. You're letting off steam. I didn't think I had a problem. Um, and then when Jacob was about two, I weaned him because I didn't, I didn't drink when I was nursing. And Sean and I had always been broke. We were young. We were always broke. And right around that time we started making money and we were like kids in a candy store. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't pregnant. We had a nanny. We were in Vegas all the time. We were running with like other young, um, other young couples that had tons of excess money. And that is when my disease really went off the rails quick mm. again. I mm. did a lot of bad things. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> Let's just say we moved from that house in a week. I blew up our lives so badly, so fast that we had to open our house up to our neighbors in um, Camp Pendleton. We were in San Diego and said, take all the furniture. We got to get out of here fast. Like I have a tendency to I don't just burn bridges. I, I put TNT the shit out of them. Like, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. And we had to run. Like we had to get out of town. I, I did some bad, bad things. Um, it was alcohol and some outside issues at that time. Yeah. And so we, we went to Hawaii for a little bit. 
we ended up in DC. That was the first time I tried to get sober. Um, it didn't last very long. I did the whole, oh, I'm in a new town. It'll be different. Started drinking once again, blew that up, ended up um, having a miscarriage, self-medicating with Xanax and alcohol. Mm. I lost five days of my life. I don't remember them. According to Sean, I was on the floor of the closet. I didn't get up. I remember being suicidal and having a moment thinking that if I kill myself, everything will be better. Like actually believing in my soul that it would be the best thing for my children. And I have what I now call the God shot moment. Call so-and-so. It was a friend I had at the time who was very open about her own child's mental illness. And I said that to Sean and he called her. We got me to the ER. Um, I admitted myself to the psych ward and I went to the county psych ward, which if anyone's watching it, it's an experience. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not fancy. It's not pretty, but it saved my life mm -hmm. and it saved my life. And, um, that sobriety, we moved to Miami that lasted maybe nine or 10 months. <sighs> Okay, I'm fine. It was the miscarriage. It was the Xanax. It wasn't the alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I'm not going to drink at home. I'm going to switch to beer. Mm -hmm. uh, tried all that. Once again, blew that up. Ended up going to do Ibogaine down in Mexico. I don't know if you've heard about it. Ibogaine, no. it's a psychedelic to each their own um, that some people say helps with addiction. It did help me. I, th I think, but I also came out of Ibogaine and said, let's have another baby. So I didn't do the work. I didn't do the therapy. I didn't take the steps to get healthy. I just mm -hmm. took, let's have another baby. And so then I went on another seven year baby bender. Let's just call it that. And I, I get a lot of shit on that for social media. How dare you have children to stay sober? And that's not exactly it. It's not like, oh, I'm gonna have a baby so I don't drink. It's if you're an addict, it's very easy to just place one thing with another. Yeah. And I didn't know that at the time. I know that in retrospect and I can look right. back and say, hey, this was an easier out. So mm -hmm. don't fucking DM me right now. Okay. Like I'm being honest. Right. We can right. over shop. We can have sex. We can do unhealthy relationships. At the moment, you're not aware that you're doing them. Yeah. Like this is me being honest. Yeah. I've heard it all. So don't DM me. Um, and so I went on this seven year baby bender. And that ended when I got the show. So I hadn't drank until I got the show. And at that point, I was like, I've been sober for like seven years. I'm not an alcoholic. Right. Felt like a past life almost. Yeah. Like if I was an alcoholic, I couldn't have right. seven years out. Seven drinking. years. Yeah. That was, I lived in Miami. I was sad. I was whatever. Right. Um, all the excuses in the world. All of them. Uh, when I read that one chapter in um, the big book, I don't know if you were a pro, but it was like, they gave you the things that you do. I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a garden variety drunk. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. They wrote a whole book about me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then that last, that last drunk was quick, fast, and brought me right back to where I'd been so fast. Yeah. And I noticed every time it went back, it got shorter and shorter and shorter. And so I think my, my bottom, I, I was smart enough to know you've tried it all. Mm -hmm. You've had all the rules. Mm 
-hmm. You've made every bargain with yourself. I think you're done now, right? You can't drink. You've tried every way to drink. Let's not drink. Let's try that. Right. And um, it was such a, it's such a release. It's so good. It's so good to not have to worry about drinking. Yeah. Like all the time we have now. Isn't that the truth? I, I remember uh, pre pre sobriety thinking like I never I was always late to everything. If I showed up, um, I never found time. Like there was never time for things. Always making excuses, you know. Um, and now, you know, getting to be present for all of life, like we were saying earlier, is just such so beautiful. I know you have Jason. Um, you're going to be talking to Jason Waller. You already talked to Jason, but yeah. we went to coffee one morning, and it was like eight o'clock. We we're having coffee at eight in the morning. We both sat there. We're like, how cool is it that not only were we here, we were both here five minutes early. You know, yeah. like a year ago, <laughs> both of us would have made an excuse and not shown up, but we were there. Yeah. And yeah. we both honored that. Like we both realized we're here when we said we're going to be. And that is a big deal. That's a That's big awesome. deal. Are you, are, uh, since you mentioned Jason, are there um, those of you in, sobriety and tv or specifically reality tv is there a is there a secret gang of y'all that uh stay connected and support each other and yes absolutely um i've talked about captain sandy how she was the first person i called i reached out to her before i called production and said this is the truth this is what i'm dealing with what do i do um i reached out to lala leah mcsweeney she's on you know new york housewives um you know, when she posted her chip, you know, we started connecting over that. Dave Quinn is a uh, an, a writer for People Magazine. He's also doing, he's very active in the housewife world. Mm-hmm. He, I couldn't talk about this when I was filming. Keep in mind, when I was filming, I am contractually obligated to not speak of this. About so I, these other people or about your sobriety? About myself. Oh. So I'm going through a global pandemic, contractually obligated to keep my mouth shut. So I reached, Jason and I have a mutual friend because I grew up in Laguna. He's younger than me, but we both grew up in the same town and our kids go to the same school. So I actively reached out to people in this world because one, they understand the the dual sides of it. And Mm -hmm. two, they understand, I can't talk about this. I am getting sober alone during a pandemic and I can't talk about it. Okay. Um, So I have some specific questions surrounding that. What, um, and I know you kind of already started to mention this, but what was the progression of drinking like for you? Um, like, can you describe that period of what was happening right then that led right up to it, the circumstances surrounding it, what you did, and what was what were those moments of, of initial sobriety like for you? Um, it had been progressing. There were There's moments on the show where it would air and I don't remember them happening. Mm. Um, (laughs) can you imagine your blackout drunk moments being on national television? Okay. So like I had, I just, I was like, wow, that's, this is bad. This is bad. Um, I would show it for a scene and I would say something to production and they'd be like, wait, what? I'm like, oh yeah, it's so great that blah, blah, blah happened. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to start off by calling a cast member because they would realize I had no recollection. Mm. I had things that would happen with camera crews. And I have zero memory. I, I guess I jumped on a producer's lap one time, started eating his meal, and I don't remember. I had full seat. Like, that's insane. So, 
I was trying to cut down when filming stopped. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to take a break. Mm-hmm. I think I was able to take a, like a month or so off. Um, and then I, I drank again and it was bam, right back to it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, towards the end was drinking around the clock. You know, I had tequila hidden in my closet in my coat pockets, a flask and I'm in my pillow because I would have to wake up and drink because the anxiety was so bad. Mm-hmm. I was doing this thing yep. at night, this panic thing. I would pace around the house. I, it was awful at the end. Like the the I would grip my blanket. I mean, I would just grip my blanket. Mm. So paralyzed with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I could feel it. And there was a, a mom's lunch at a fancy restaurant in Newport Beach. And I wasn't planning on going, but I was drunk at 9 a.m., like blackout, pass out drunk already. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, if I go to this lunch, then when Sean comes home from work um, and I smell like tequila, there'll be a reason because I went to brunch. Mm. So I went. I don't remember much of the brunch, but I called my girlfriend the next day. And I said, is there anything that I did that I should be embarrassed about? And she's like, yeah, honey, there is. And this is the kind of person that always kind of supported me was kind. And so for her to say this, and then she told me some things I'd said to another mom there um, that were horrible. And this is a woman I have a lot of respect for. Uh, mm-hmm. She wrote the book, I am jazz about jazz Jennings. And I, I mean, I admire her so much. And for me to say mm-hmm. these horrible things to a woman that I had so much respect for, mm-hmm. I was shocked. I was shocked at my behavior. So I wrote them. There was four moms there and I didn't know them that well. They were moms, like mom friends, not friend friends. And mm-hmm. I just laid it all out. I am so sorry. I have a problem. I'm going to get help. I like just uttering those words were a big deal. Like that mm-hmm. was the first time I admitted I have a problem. Yeah. I was headed to Miami the next day for a big birthday party. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink. And um, that lasted 10 minutes after I landed and it started out. Okay. Day one, okay. Day two, day three. And by, by day four, it was three o'clock in the morning. Sean and I had been getting, a huge, we were in huge fights because I was so drunk I couldn't leave the hotel room. Oh, sure. Um, I was very able to manipulate him to get what I want. You know, I had yeah. I had my ways of getting him to not be too mad. You know, I definitely used sex as, as a way to get what I needed from mm-hmm. him. Um, and then that last day, I don't know what happened. Couldn't stop drinking. Couldn't stop. I mean, the mini bar, I don't know where the alcohol was coming from, but I know I was trying to hide it from Sean, refilling the mini bar bottles with water. Um, and I went into him because we were flying home that day. And I just said, I have a problem. I can't stop drinking. I need your help. And I don't recommend anyone does this. You can die from this, but I detoxed flying home on an airplane. Um, he told me if I took one more drink, he was going to take the kids. So you went cold turkey. Yeah. Wow. The one thing, you know, I love my children so much and I could tell that Sean meant it. Mm-hmm. If you take one more drink, I'm taking the kids. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that was a really fucking awful, awful day. Do not detox on your own. Right. Don't do it. <laughs> like it's dangerous. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Don't do it. It was a bad choice. Don't do that. If you're struggling, you want to detox, ask for help, go get help. Um, but I did and I detoxed and the next day. So, and 
And we just put that out there too. That was our 20 year wedding anniversary. Wow. <laughs> like my sobriety date is our, our anniversary, um, which is not lost on me. Hmm. So the next day, so I'm, I'm going on one day sober production comes to my house to talk about the next season. What's going on mm. in your life. And I kind of tiptoed around it like, Oh, I'm getting healthy. I'm on a cleanse. And, um, the, our family went to Beaver Creek. Another thing not to do. Don't go to high altitudes, two days sober. That's mm. bad. These are all, I'm like, I made every bad decision. So we go to right. Beaver Creek. I lose it. I had a really bad time with Sean. I went to drink. He was holding me. I smacked him. I got a lot of shit about that on the show too. Um, you know, but once again, this is my honest story. I, I was willing to slap my husband and leave my family for a drink in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, because that is the grip that alcohol had on me. I was literally Mm -hmm. ready to burn my whole life down and, and lose everything for a drink. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was another low, got through that. And then next day is when I called Captain Sandy and said, I need help. What do I do? I knew she worked a program. She'd been sober for 30 years. I didn't know who else to call. Yeah. I didn't know who else to call. Cause I knew I couldn't talk about this to like it. When you're in a reality world, it's hard to trust people not to talk yeah. about you, not to leak stories. So yeah. it's a very small group of people I trusted. I called her. She told me what to do. I called production. I said, this is the truth. I'm an alcoholic. And I never looked back. That's awesome. So, so that, you know, leading into this next, this next question, you, um, and, and I want to come back to more about, you know, the, the recovery sobriety part, but, um, it's so folded in together. So I, I want to transition into, into this next area. You came out in such a public way on the show. Um, and, I wanted to kind of ask you what made you feel safe enough to um to to go there, you know? I didn't feel safe enough to go there. Um I didn't want to go there. <laughs> there was a photo that TMZ had of me and the person I was dating at the time. Oh. So So it got leaked. No, well, no. So TMZ, I gotta, I gotta give them credit. TMZ does not out people. So I always have to give them a shout out for that because they said, Hey, we have this photo. We're not going to mm. run with it because we don't do that. Right. Um, but if we have it, someone else will have it too. Just mm. FYI, that doesn't have the same scruples as us. And so I kind of sat with, you know, PR at the time was like, what do I do? And let's like, let's be honest. I can't not tell the truth. Like it is so hard for me to not be honest because I can't live like that. You know, the more like secrets keep us sick. And so I have always dated women. I've always been with women, but it's something I kept to myself, you know, and Sean knew a couple people knew, but it was, you know, I kept that, I kept that hidden. And I was like, you know what? And keep in mind, all of this is coming after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I'd fallen in love with my best friend. Sean had been with someone else. Like there was a lot of extra steps that mm-hmm. no one else saw because we yeah. weren't filming. We were stuck in our homes. Um, I had started dating Chris who, you know, I just, she's just such a beautiful human. Um, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, here's the truth. So I, instead of hiding it, I said, okay, how do I do this story? And I didn't want to do it through uh, salacious magazine. 
I didn't want to do it through a gossip one. So we reached out to Anthony Ramos at GLAAD. I said, hey, this is my story. I am nervous as hell, but I need to tell it. And it's actually funny because when you watch that video, we had to redo the beginning because I was shaking so bad and I had water that I spilled it all down my dress. Like I was not ready to tell that story, but I rather had it told. And some of my cast members had known some stuff because it's a small town. And they are, they didn't like me and they had no problem sharing this stuff and bringing it up on camera. So mm-hmm. I was like, at least I'm going to tell the story truthfully on my own terms. And I'm, yeah. I'm now looking back, I'm so glad I did because it was like, like a release. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, okay. Yeah. And, you know, I want to take a minute to really pinpoint the level of transparency and honesty that you've taken in that stance because, um, <clears throat> I think that many people uh, that grew up, you know, that are cl- closer to your age can have a similar experience where they came out, you know, and had same sex attraction from, you know, their whole life, but were, chose marriage to the opposite sex. And, um, but, not a lot of people talk about um, because there's stigma not only with be, with being open, coming out, and being gay after you've been married the whole time, but then also you know you had this private thing between you and your spouse, you know that where y'all had your own thing going on, right? right. And it was your own stuff <laughs> you were dealing with and whatever, and um, you know you could have just come out and said, you know, we're going to deal with things in a different way now. I'm you know I'm gay, whatever. Um, but you know and i know that you said that there was a picture but even the level of transparency that you have have given is one that i don't i think is very rare because um again the the shame and stigma surrounding all of it and how a traditional family is supposed to look you know um and uh you know, you could have just as easily not gotten, not, you know, only shared what you felt like you had to, to save face and you didn't. And because of that, I think that, you know, there, again, you know, with every inch and level of reality, we're willing to share in our story about the truth in our journey and, and what have you, um, I think just generates so much more potential for impact in the lives, uh, saved and affected by your story. So I thank you for that, that and the bravery that you, you know, you, it, it was, it was hard. I knew, you know, if people didn't believe I was getting sober, people aren't going to believe I'm gay. And that honestly has been the hardest part was, Oh, she's making it up. She's doing mm-hmm. it for storyline. I'm like, okay, this is my life. So that, that was hard. Um, the, your poor kids has been very hard. It's yeah. amazing when I got sober, people were so supportive. When I came out, it was like your poor family. You're so selfish. It's all about you. You're a narcissist. Um, but I mean, let, like, honestly, at this point, it's like I have nothing left to lose. I've given everything. I've given everything. Mm-hmm. And it's been so hard. The backlash was so bad. But I, you know what? I'm stronger for it. Like, I don't, I don't know. I guess for me, what's the point of holding anything back? Like, I agree. like what's the point of what? And let, like, I obviously go to a program where we share stuff. We share everything mm-hmm. um, yeah. without judgment or stigma. And I think I give that same honesty to everyone, whether they're in a program or not. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people might not be ready for, 
Yeah. <laughs> but if I just post on Instagram how perfect my life is, that's just going to make people feel bad. You know, like, yeah. wow, being sober is so easy for her. Right. Oh, getting fired was so easy for her. Oh, having seven kids is so easy for her. Yeah. I'd much rather be like, okay, my life is a shit show. It and nothing's going the way I thought, but you know what? I'm still standing yeah. and I didn't drink today. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know. So and and the I blessings do, and the things that you're grateful for might be, might look way different than what they should look like, but. And, and I do, I do hope this like. too. I grew up, like you said, in a time it was different and I had no female role models. I mm -hmm. thought if I was a lesbian, I was going to wear flannel, you know, and like, I like pink. I like dresses. Like I'm a girly girl. So mm -hmm. I really hope too that people will realize that one, sexuality is a spectrum. It's not black and white. You know, it's not gay or straight. It's uh, whatever you want it to be. And two, that it, you can be a woman that loves, you know, pink, that likes to be at home, that wants a big family and still like women. Um, and also I hope too that people, because everyone says Sean and I should get divorced. And it's like, you do you. Like, that's right. Please don't push your your idea of what marriage is onto me. I'm doing what works for us. Take a step back. And I will say the people that do reach out to me that I have helped has been, you know, that has been great. Yeah. Okay. So um, what would you say, or how would you say um, the person you are today differs from the one that we got to see on the show? I am such a badass. I am so fucking strong. I am so fucking strong. And I didn't know that. And I found strength in being so low and so vulnerable. I have showed up to meetings on the floor Literally, because they were Zoom meetings. So literally on the floor, mm -hmm. not sure how, I mean, you, you want me to get through today? Well, how am I going to get through the next second? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I, okay, I can't make it through today. How do I get through the next moment? Mm -hmm. And the people in that room had been through something. They had shown it. They got me through it. Mm -hmm. So the woman I am today is so fucking strong. I have been through things that if you had told me I was going to get through and get through sober, I wouldn't have believed you. And I did it. That has been the biggest thing is that I know I'm strong now. Mm -hmm. I never knew that before. I never knew the strength I had. Um, I, I know who I am. And that's not just a good thing. I know who I am. The, the other part, the parts I need to work right. on, you know yeah. what I mean? Like when you call me out and, and say this or this or that, I'm like, yes, you're right. That is true. And I'm working on that. I know what I do. I know when I'm spiraling. I know the tendencies, good and bad, that I have. Um, and I also am being more comfortable taking up space in this world. Oh, I love I, that. That really speaks to yeah. me. You know? Uh. I always tried to make myself as small as possible because hmm. I didn't feel like I deserved it. Yeah. And you know what? I deserve this space. I've earned it. Amen. Absolutely. Um, oh gosh. I got, I just got chills from what you shared uh, just then. Um, so I have a couple more questions about the show. Um, what is the true level of reality expected on the show? None, none, <laughs> none. Um, 
I was actually, like I said, I'm in Dallas. So I was with the Dallas Housewives last yeah. night. And we were actually talking about how much more interesting the real stories are from what you see. Mm. Whatever you see, it's bullshit. It is edited mm -hmm. bullshit. We are made into characters. You know, um, yeah. someone will say something and they'll run with it. Mm. Uh, none. None. And there's just so much that they prompt and prod us. And I'm I might get in trouble for saying this. I've never actually read my contract, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I have an umbrella policy, so no. But uh, I should probably read it one day. But no, none, none. It is, yeah. it's not scripted. Like I said, it's not like it's not scripted. They never tell us what to say, mm -hmm. but they do heavily prompt us. When I did my 20 year vow renewal with Sean, we were in such a big fight that day. I almost didn't show up. We like, it was horrible. Our marriage was crumbling. And I remember doing my confessional and they're like, tell us about that day. I'm like, well, I hated Sean. And they're like, well, this was a beautiful moment. So let's, I'm like, okay, it wasn't. And I didn't want to go, but I had to. Why don't you just tell me what to say? What do you want me to say? You know, um, it's, it's not. And I think when people, and it's so weird to me when people think they know me, mm. well, you're a bad mom. You saw this or you're this, or it's like, you saw a very carefully calculated character that they curated. Right. So would you say that the, so on your end, what was shown, like you were the real you that you could be on the show. It was manipulated on for you for by the, by them. Or did you feel like some levels of what you had to play were kind of, also a little bit. I, I think we're always ourselves. We're always ourselves. Yeah. Um, but what they can do with that is pretty yeah. amazing. And I, I don't know exactly what my contract says, but I know it's like we can, um, it's pretty bad. They can do whatever they want. And we, you know, and we sign up, don't get me wrong. We sign up for it willingly. You know, there yeah. is something about everyone that goes on reality TV, in my opinion, that we're all a little bit broken and we're trying to fill that hole. Sure. You know, no one goes on reality TV because they're great. <laughs> you know, you we're said all... it, and I mean, I that I, and that's actually we were talking about yesterday at the dinner is that you know does Bravo use people with mental health issues sort of, and it's like all of us we're all kind of admitting all of us have some issues. No one goes on reality TV because their life is going well and they're fully fulfilled. No, yeah. we're all slightly broken, and we're hoping this will fix us. Um, it doesn't in case you're trying out for one right now, it doesn't, <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they cut scenes, they add scenes, they do whatever they rearrange the order. Mm -hmm. There is, I would say you see 1% of what we film. Wow. And so if you do that and take pictures, whatever, like you're going to get a very different idea of what they want and what they need. And these are mm -hmm. stories. You're watching a show for entertainment, right? Like never forget that. Don't. Don't go up in, in, in someone's, like another star's, rally star's DMs thinking you know who they are. You don't. Odds are if you meet all of us in person, you're going to probably like us. We're all actually fairly cool people. I have yet to meet, no, that's not true. There's one. I've met one housewife that I didn't like. But like for the most part, <laughs> if, you meet, if you meet any of us, we're all just regular people yeah. kind of like struggling through the day, trying to do whatever. None of us are good or bad. There's, there's no villains or heroes. There's no icons. And that's the other thing I don't want to get into. But like when men start labeling middle-aged women as like, she's an icon, she's a this, like, okay, stop it. We're just, we're middle-aged women trying to navigate very complicated lives. Give us some grace. Um, but like, 
yeah, just take it for what it is. It's a TV show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I, I, I'm fully prepared for you to plead the fifth on this. Um, and if you need to, that's great. Uh, but how authentic do you believe the other women on your show were on your seasons? And, uh, or do you feel like it was just the same as you that they were as authentic? No, absolutely not. Um, Gina is real as fuck. Tamara, awesome, real person. Um, I mean, Vicky, what you see is what you get, you know, does she share everything? No, but she's not, she's not fake. Um, Kelly, I mean, I, I think we all know that she, she, transparent, full transparency, love her or hate her, full transparency. Um, Shannon, Shannon, I hope will be, you'll be interviewing her 10 years from now. You know, she's got a lot, yeah. she does a lot to keep her life looking good. Um, mm-hmm. And when she has moments of vulnerability, they're never on camera. And then it's hard because it's hard to film with someone that's two different people. You know, um, uh, does she doesn't, I don't think she does it maliciously. I think she does it to protect herself. Sure. Absolutely. Um, And I, I can identify that. Um, and then yeah, Emily just, she's probably, she's wow. (laughs) Yeah. I probably should be the fifth. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't care. That's right. Well, thank you for answering that. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely know we've got a number of Real Housewives fans that are going to be listening and watching, and so I couldn't go without at least, uh, you know, asking a few. And of then for questions. all the like Real Housewives fans, I will say this: there are amazing housewives in every city. I am yeah. so grateful to have such good friends in this franchise. So, like. I really am. There are some amazing women and we wouldn't be friends with each other in real life if what you saw was who we are in these shows. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like, that is the thing too. The, I have met so, we were actually like at dinner last night, how grateful we are for each other. You know, yeah. we really do have a really cool kind of sorority thing in this, in the housewife franchise. So That's we're a awesome. lot cooler than anyone would know. We're actually super normal-ish. I think it's pretty cool that you connect with the ones from the other, um, from the other uh, areas as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you care to share a little bit about what your departure was like for you from the show? I'm putting it kindly, but like, you know, like what, what was that experience for you? And, you know, what did you feel? And, and it sucks. Yeah, it sucked. This is my first job. I've never worked before. I've never had a job before. So getting fired, I think getting fired sucks for anyone. Um, and also this is kind of wraps up with your identity. Why didn't they like me? Why aren't I good enough? And so that goes back to my insecurity issues. You know, why am I like, why does nobody like me? You know, so that's like, I have to be very honest. It triggered some of my largest character defects. So those mm-hmm. were completely triggered, triggered. Yeah. Um, and then for me, there was a sense of, well, what do I do now? You know, I was a stay at home mom for 20 years. And then I had this really cool kind of crazy fun job. Who am I now? That sense of identity. Um, And that was hard. I literally thought, okay, well now no one's going to want to talk to me. Now no one's going to care what I have to say. Like now I'm just going to go back to being, you know, Bronwyn ordering DoorDash, watching Netflix, raising her children. Yeah. Not that, like, don't get me wrong. I love DoorDash and Netflix, but um, 
And that lasted, I would say, I gave myself a good week to cry and feel sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. Like I did. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to feel sorry for myself for a week. Yeah. Uh, and had a pity party. And then I, I got myself out of it. Um, and then I started thinking, okay, what do you really love about the show? What was it about the show that you liked? And for me, it was being able to talk to people, to reach out, to have those connections, um, especially with fans that are getting sober or in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that hasn't been taken away from you. Yeah, You still have that. That's right. Um, and so then I, and then I do what I always do. All right, pull yourself up, girl, get back to work. And then, so now I'm starting to do some really cool things. And then no one tells you this when you get fired from reality TV, there are a lot of opportunities for you. You don't have mm-hmm. them when you're on the show because of contractual reasons, but it's like people that you never would have thought to reach out are now reaching out to you. Hey, do you want to work with us? Do you want to do this? And it's like, Oh yeah, that actually sounds great. Like that actually sounds better. <laughs> like, Cause you're not going to yell at me right now and fight with right. me and make up malicious rumors about my family. Right. So thank you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, and I was actually talking to one of the Dallas housewives because they just, their show was canceled and they're kind of all in that same thing. We were having that conversation. How long did it take for you to kind of get over the grieving process? Because mm-hmm. you do get used to the chaos. Sure. And like any other drug, it is an, an addiction. The chaos, mm-hmm. the fame, the, the filming. And I said, it took me about six weeks to really, really get through it. Mm. Um, and then going to Kauai was a great choice for me grounding myself, remembering, wait, I'm happier now. I think when you're on the shows, you forget how miserable you are. You're miserable a lot, like a lot. Mm. And you get so used to it that you forget. And um, so I think two, like a week of grieving, two weeks to like move forward and then six weeks to be like, okay, I'm good. Wow. Um, I, I think the level of insight that you have into that whole process is, is like, <laughs> Super, again, one of the gifts of sobriety, you know, like, yes, absolutely. Um, Quick, I wanted to circle back real quick to, you mentioned something about your contract earlier. Um, When you were struggling, you said you were contractually uh, restricted from being able to reveal what was going on with you um, in the the alcoholism. Was that what you were referring to or did I hear that wrong? No, no. So we can't talk about, I mean, storylines that are life, but basically uh-huh. things that you're filming. And let's just call it a storyline for lack of a better word. We can't talk about things that you're filming. So that does, I mean, I could go to AA meetings because that is anonymous gotcha. and whatever. So yes, I could go to AA meetings, but that was right during the pandemic. And that it took mm-hmm. me a hot minute. Um, I was very lucky to have someone on the crew that was in sobriety that was nine years sober at the time that took me under their wing yeah. and really... I mean, really took me under my wing and like Dave Quinn, he's very open about his sobriety. Mm -hmm. He helped me, but no, so I couldn't reach out to people. I couldn't reach out much. I couldn't talk about it on Instagram. I couldn't do it. So like, like that, I slyly started following Jason Waller and listening to his podcast. Mm -hmm. I started following sober people and listening to them because I didn't have we're, you know, it's, you don't, we don't talk about things that we're filming for good reason. I mean, it, it does yeah. make sense. You know, you yeah. don't want to give away everything that's happening on the show. Yeah. So people um, watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. I get the reason, but, and that didn't include AA. Obviously I could say whatever I wanted. I'm sorry. Um, in community support meetings. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm the 11th tradition. I have a hard time with it. It's like my life. I'm I, yeah. so I'm sorry. 
Don't yell at me about that one too. I I know, I get it. I get yelled at a lot. <laughs> I'm working on it, doing my best. <laughs> it's it's okay. Um, as a fellow, I will say um, <laughs> you're forgiven. Yeah, like, um, talk, I don't think they planned on reality TV when this was, because it's so hard to like talk yeah. and then like, ah! Right, right. Support well, it meetings. was what? That was the name. That so we many were, decades ago. <laughs> yeah, like support meetings is what we agreed upon. Yeah. Uh, when me and my sponsor, when we were talking about it, okay, support meetings. Cool. Sorry. Absolutely. Um, okay. So I know we're, we're running close on time and I want to be respectful of that for you. Um, I've got a couple other questions that I do want to ask you, um, if we can fit them in. Um, so how has sobriety affected your parenting? I mean, how hasn't it would probably be the better answer. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm present. I'm there. I'm not hung over. I'm not passing out at 7 PM. Um, I I'm making it to the meetings. I'll be there on the first day of school. I'm taking a red eye to go to New York for some things I'm doing there, but you know what? I'm going to be, I'm gonna, I can do it all. I can do it all. Um, we had a really, you know, tough incident with my daughter's mental health this year. She tried to kill herself. I was oh, present. Wow. I was aware. I was able to take the steps and get through it. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if I'd been drinking? I can't. Yeah. It would have been a shit show. Um, my kids, like the rest of the world, just went through a global pandemic. If I had been drinking during that, who would they have looked to to say, is everything going to be okay? Because let's be honest, at the beginning, we didn't know. You know, I was able to be that strong. Even when I wasn't feeling it, I was able to portray it to my children. Um, Coming out has taken a lot of grace with my family mm -hmm. and my kids. Mm -hmm. If I'd been drinking, I wouldn't have been able to navigate something very complicated uh, so well. But, and this is the one thing which, if you're a parent and you're watching this, I think the thing that has best affected my parenting is we talk about it. When I'm triggered, when I'm anxious, I talk about this with my kids at every age. Age appropriately, my kids know that mom's an alcoholic they know and we don't hide it and it's not shameful and it's not a bad thing we have those conversations because it's genetic yeah absolutely okay so this is kind of a packed question but i think it's it is so important so have your relationships changed since coming out and getting sober i have to think yes in some way some good some bad um and a follow-up to that question is what advice would you give others facing a similar level of transition and vulnerability um to in showing their authentic self to the people in their lives so when i first got sober i lost a lot of friends let's put yeah. that word in quotations yeah. um the combination of heavy drinking and d-list celebrity you're going to get a lot of hanger honors. And I had a lot of those people in my life propping me up, enabling me. So when I got sober, those were the first ones to go. Some because, of, you know, I wasn't drinking with them. Others because I think it made them not feel so great about themselves. If you have a drinking problem and someone gets sober, you don't want to be around them because it's a mirror. It's so, not yeah. So the hanger honors were the first ones to go. Mm -hmm. um, then I had people that were my real friends, but they still drink a lot or whatever. And I wasn't hanging out with them as much. You know, I would go for an hour and I would leave. And so you stop getting the invites and it kind of hurts at first, but whatever, you get over it. Um, coming out on the other hand has been very hard yeah. because then there is that 
that secondary level, the moms on the soccer field, the PTA moms, mm. um, they're not rude, but they ignore me now because now I don't fit into that box. Married mother of seven. They don't know what to say to me or what to do. And it's just like, I walk in and it's like, there's a scarlet letter on me. Mm. Um, and it's just, they just ignore me. Wow. Um, and that, then then that is actually confronting you. That is like, I, it is hard and I still struggle with that. I still struggle with that. Wow. Um, so what, so moving on to the second part of that question, what would you, what would you, what encouragement would you give somebody that's facing this, you know, a similar, in that same position of, sexuality, sobriety, needing to do both. Um, what would you say? I think one of the things that's hard when you're gay and trying to get sober is most of the safe places are bars. Let's be honest. We go to the gay bars. That's where we go to hang out, you know, Mm -hmm. with each other. Um, so I think one get sober, give yourself three months, six months, a year, however long it is that you need to be comfortable in social situations. Sometimes it's never, whatever, it's different for all of us. There are gay meetings. There are meetings, you know, for people um, in the LGBTQ community. Start there because then you'll have your community. But here's the thing, your community is gonna change. Yep. And that's okay. Because the people I hang out with right now compared to a year and eight months ago, night and day, night and day. And it's for the better. You know, it really is for the better. It's a much smaller group. I have a lot less friends, <laughs> you know, I have a lot less friends, but no. I'm actually happy about that because although I lost friends, I found myself mm-hmm. um, and it turns out I really like hanging out with me. Mm. That's so beautiful. So, so beautiful. Um, okay. So real quick, what has, uh, made sobriety work for you this time? If you had to name like the, just the first things that come to mind that you either realizations or things that you're actually doing this time versus the last. Honestly, I'm just ready now. Hmm. And that's the truth. I tried every way to drink and you know what? I can't, I don't want to try to drink anymore. I tried so hard. I'm exhausted. Um, so honestly, that's the only thing that's changed is I now know that I can never drink and having that weight lifted off me. I'm not trying to manage it. I'm not trying to figure out a way that it's going to work. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I've tried them all. If you're wondering and you have a problem, there's no way that doesn't work. Um, and it it was that realization, which seems so simple after some of the stuff that's happened to me, it seems like I should have figured that out a long time ago, but it took me 42 years to realize that I will never be able to drink. Um, and it's just like, I don't have to make a choice anymore. Just don't drink. Like, it's so easy to not drink. Like, it's just, that's it. Just don't drink and everything will be okay. Just don't drink. And I, it's not a thing. So I've done a, I've done what I've done before. Yeah. It is a willingness and a surrender. Um, I used to have a really hard time with the, with the, you know, the pronouns in the big book. I had a really hard time with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have a hard time with the pronouns and I still have a hard time with God, but you know what? I don't need to be right. Cause what I was doing wasn't working like, mm-hmm. okay, Ron, well, you don't know the answers. Why don't you just try this? Just try it. 
surrender. You don't have to be right, but try it anyways. For me, my higher power is the people in the room. And that's enough for me. And you know what? I would like to have a more gender neutral book, but it's not going to be something that makes me drink. I'm not going to drink over that. Like that's such a minor deal. Like in the grand scheme of things, who cares? Like that was just a reason to drink. Yeah. So for me, it was the willingness, the surrender and um, knowing I don't have all the answers. And as long as I keep showing up, it's all going to be okay. That's it right there. Um, all right, Bronwyn, is there anything that you want? I know you hinted at a couple things and I don't know if you're ready to share them or not, but is there anything that you wanted to talk about that you're working on right now um, and share with everybody? Not quite yet. You know, I'm trying to keep some things right now just because I, I'm i very superstitious. I knock on wood or whatever. I'm, I'm, there's some exciting things that I'm working on, but until they're like set in stone, I don't want to jinx them. But sure. I am really excited. Like, I am actually really excited. I'm really excited for what's to come. I thought when Housewives was over, I'm like, that's it. You know, life's life, life's boring now. And I'm realizing, oh my God, life is just beginning. There are things that I've wanted to do my whole life that it looks like I'm going to be able to get to do. Awesome. And like, how yeah. cool is that? I'm 43. Like, that's right. Like, so life can so begin much- at any age. Doesn't matter how yeah. old you are. We all get to start over. Like, I'm, I'm more excited now than I was like 18. So, I love that. I love that. And we'll, well, for those of us uh, stay in tune, we'll just, we'll just keep watching you on Instagram and and look out for what, uh, what What happened. I mean, I have a big mouth, so you know, I won't keep it to myself for long. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, awesome. All right. So last question, final, I know I keep saying, but this is truly the last question. What do you want to leave with uh, our listeners and and, um, people viewing that uh, have related to your story? Um, final thought, encouragement, challenge, anything you want to say? I think for those of you that are sober, that are listening to this, you know, just keep it up. We are doing amazing things just by being ourselves, sharing our word, you know, don't keep it to yourself. Be real, be honest, keep spreading the message because your honesty is going to save someone else's life. Um, for those of you that are sober, curious, I kind of challenge you to make a list, to sit down right now and make a list of three things that you really want out of life. Sit down, write those down. And then um, I just want you to know that those things will come true. And that's the simple truth of it. What you want, you can have. It might not come to you exactly the way that you think it will, but if you want something in life and you're struggling with you know, addiction, all you have to do is, I mean, I don't say all because it's hard, but get sober and your life will be beyond your wildest expectations. Love it. Uh, so much truth spoken there. Uh, and with that, I would like to remind everybody that um, it is never too late to start loving yourself. And you're only one decision away from a completely different life. So thank you again, Bronwyn. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. And happy National Recovery Month. (laughs) Happy National Recovery Month, everybody. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098.
or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself. 